<laughs> oh, man. Hey, I've got some wonderful things to share that have been on my heart this morning. And, uh, and I believe they're going to, if you receive them, they're going to change something. They're going to affect the way that you see every situation in life. Because, you know, this whole, I was thinking in worship, this whole life, this whole thing we do in community and together, I would do this no matter who's around me. That doesn't matter. (laughs) I'd be doing this no matter who else was. But I am glad that I'm doing it with you guys. I want to speak about three elements of an uncommon life this morning. <laughs> you know, we have been called, and the life that we've been, that is designed for us to live is uncommon. Did you know that? It is different. Jesus gave us the example of a, of a life, how to lead life on this earth. And he was uncommon. It was baffling. The way he did things, the way he thought, baffled people. And it aggravated other people. And I believe that that is something that we really should be experiencing in life, that we shouldn't be afraid of, that if you... Talk to someone and they say, man, that, why on earth are you thinking like that? Or that's so backwards. That's probably a good sign, <laughs> probably, that you might be onto something. It says in John 17, 16, that we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We've often heard that. We're here. We, are, we live here but we are not born of this world. We don't do things. We don't, we're not designed to think like the world thinks. So we need to understand what that is, what the differences are, so that we can tell if we're on the right track, if we, so we can tell if there's something that doesn't line up. Because we want to be lining up with the Word. We want to be lining up with the life that Jesus gave us as an example to lead. I love this. I grabbed onto this when I was a kid. 2 Corinthians 5.17 speaks about who we are created to be. We are not the same creation that we were before we accepted Jesus Christ. There's a real change, a real change that happened when we accepted Jesus into our heart. We are now a new creation. The old things, they're gone. Our old nature is gone. We are a new creation. Now, that's got to mean something, doesn't it? That's got to mean something. A new creation. So let's let's dig into a couple of things here. You know, I often hear this 
is kind of said um, for a justification of how someone thinks or what they expect. This is a classic. You will have heard this. So many people judge their experience, what they expect to experience in life, based on what they know or perceive everyone else has experienced in life. You heard that? Oh, that's just the way things are. Oh, that's, that's just what happens. Why? Well, it, everyone else experienced it that way. And people use a mass experience to inform their own. I think that is rather silly, just personally. And what I've noticed that is that it's the further you go into who God is and and the, the, the closer you get to Jesus, the more confusing the logic of the world seems. <laughs> because we, we all have grown up in this world. We all kind of understand there's, there's a lot of things. There's logic, right? There's logic, the way that things make sense to the world, the, the way that things are understood. The closer we get to God, the more confusing that will find, you will find that the more confusing and the, the logic of the world will seem. And that's what, we, that's what we, we're here for, to be renewed, to be brought into God's way of doing things, into the kingdom, yeah? Is that not what we're here for? Yeah, all right. We can't let the experience of everyone else inform our experience because that's not truth. That's just how everyone else has experienced it. <clears throat> so I want to explore three elements that, that you'll see in someone who lives an uncommon life led by the Holy Spirit. Who wants a life like that? Yeah, me. Good. Glad I'm not alone. The first one is to live connected to the source. <laughs> Um, we had, uh, last time I was here, um, was two weeks ago, I think Dad spoke on, on uh, the prodigal son and that parable. And um, man, there's so much to learn from these two guys, these two sons, so much to learn. It's found in Luke 15, and I'll, um, I'll read a little bit here, just to familiarize ourselves. <clears throat> the lost son is the parable of the lost son. That's what my Bible says. So, the first one we know he he was focused on what the father had for him, what the father could give him. He was focused on his father's wealth. And he got all he could. He got his, his half of his inheritance, his, uh, his half of what his father had as his inheritance. And he went off and spent it, did what he wanted with it. I always thought when I was a kid, uh, if you take your inheritance from your father before he's dead, then he doesn't have anything left. But that's not quite right, because 
we know as people, as humans, uh, we are, you know, the, what we have is, is within our power to amass and to gather, right? So this son took half of what his father had at that time. But who knows, his father would have still continued living and still continued doing what he was doing and still continuing amassing wealth, producing from his work. He wasn't, he wasn't incapacitated. He was still there. <clears throat> so his, his son took half of what he had, that's fine, whatever, and he leaves. But the father is still the source of where things come from. <laughs> He's still the source. Now, neither son, this is, this is what I, I love about this parable. We so often focus on the son who left and, you know, the son who got it wrong in, in that way, that he, that he didn't, wasn't connected to his father. He, he focused on just what he could do for him. But there's two sons here and the other one got it just as wrong, just as wrong. Neither son knew his father. I often think, how could you, how could these two boys get it so wrong with such a good father? They lived with him. They were there with him. They had him. How did they get it so wrong? One was only focused on what his father could do for him, what his father's riches and what was coming his way. And the other son didn't accept his role as a son either. Instead, he decided to work for the affection that he would, was freely given. He decided that it wasn't good enough, that it wasn't fair and it wasn't right, that he should just get. He should just receive what the Father had for him. He needed to earn it. And we know how that turned out for him. He was there the whole time. And his father said, all I have is yours. When you split an inheritance, it wasn't like he just gave half of the inheritance to this one and, and kept this one, kept the other half. It's all his sons. He divided it up. And the son that stayed, everything that was there was his. It was already given to him. But we see at the end of the parable that the son gets snooty when, the, when one of them comes back, because he said, you haven't given me anything. The father looks at him and goes, everything I have is yours. You've been here the whole time, and you haven't received what I've had for you. Now, there's such a lesson in this for us, because this is, this is a picture of us. We have the source inside of us. We have the Father right here all the time, where every good thing comes from, where life is found. We have direct access from Him to Him. Are we going to be like Son 1 or Son 2 in that number one, focused on what, what is this relationship going to benefit me? apart from being in relationship. What is this? What has God got for me? What, 
what is the blessing going to do? Are we chasing the blessing? Are we chasing what God has in his hand and not who he is? Or are we like son too and we, we're here, but we think, man, I've been given this gift of salvation and now I've got to work to earn it. Now I've got to prove that I am worthy of this gift. That, I would say, is the more common. And I think it's probably the most common thing that we need to tell ourselves. You don't need to do this on your own. You don't need to do this on your own. <laughs> I know that's, that's what I need to tell myself most often. Because it's so easy. It's so easy to be self-reliant instead of connected to the source, instead of reliant on the Father. Because it takes faith. It takes trust. It takes bravery to be reliant on something that is not within yourself. But then we all get into the situation where we realize, oh, hang on. I can't do this by myself. <laughs> and we need to be able to to recognize when we are trying to do it in, in our own strength and go, you don't have to do it by yourself. That's not the design that God gave us. You know, we have constant access to the Father, but if He isn't our goal, if He Himself is not our goal, then we are going to miss our purpose and our identity. Because that's where those two things are found, is in the Father. And we have direct connection and access to Him. Mm. Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all your needs. Deuteronomy 8.18 says that it's God who gives man the power to gain wealth. He is the source. He is what we need to be connected to. And like I said at the start, the further you get, the closer you get to Him, the more different your life's going to look. The more uncommon you will seem to those around you. And I believe that that is... One of the, the most important, if not the most important thing, is to be connected to the source and to understand that He's what makes us different. He is what makes us stand out in this world, no matter where you are. No matter what your circle of influence is, you don't have to be a, a world changer, a, a planet shaker. You don't have to influence the entire world. You've been given a circle of influence. You have been given a place. And that is the sphere that God has called you to influence. The first element of an uncommon life is to live connected to the source. All right. Number two, be an investor. The second element of an uncommon life is to be an investor. 
Learn to grow what you have. Let's look at um, Matthew 25, another one of my favorite parables. Matthew 25, starting in uh, verse 14, it's the parable of the talents. We know this well, but let's, let's dig in and see what it's got for us. The parable of the talent says in verse 14, For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country, who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and immediately went on his journey. Then he who had received five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five others, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he would receive the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. This kind of speaks to the the point I made before that his response is so fascinating. The third servant who got one talent, his response, it just always, it always baffled me. Because I looked at it and I said, wow, his perception of the master, it's not a very good one. He doesn't think very uh, highly or there's a lot of fear about who his master is. And I kind of, you know, on initial reading, I thought that's just, that's just who his, his master must be. But that's not the case. We see in verse 26, this, the Lord answered, answered him and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received my own with interest. Therefore take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. The servant, like the sons in the in the uh the prodigal son um, parable, he didn't know his master. He didn't know him. And from his perspective, he saw someone who he thought gained from where they didn't work for it. He, he thought his master, he could see wealth being gathered to him and he couldn't see him working for it. And he thought that is not fair. That is not right. 
you know, that's something that, that's a logic of the world. How dare you have something that you didn't work for? That's not right. That's not fair. You know, you may get people saying things like that to you. When the blessing of God is seen on your life, and when you've been a wise steward with what you've got, money seems to just come. And this, this is what this servant thought about his master. You sow where you, you, do, you reap where you do not sow, and you get things that you haven't worked for. And so his master said, even if you thought that was the tr- case, even if that was your truth about me, you would have done something different if you were a good servant. But his perception of the master was completely warped. And the system that he was operating in was completely different to the others. He was not an investor. He did not have a healthy understanding of how the world works, of how money works. You know, God's kingdom doesn't operate on fair. (laughs) Did you know that? It doesn't operate on fair. A lot of us, uh, a lot of people think that's how it should operate. That, you know, everyone's given the same opportunity. Everyone has the same outcome. Gee, that's a big thing in our world at the moment. Have you seen that? Everyone should experience the same thing because that would be fair. You know, that's quite the opposite of fair. The master, if you go up, up a little bit before, um, back in the, in the parable here, the master gave them different amounts of money. Why did he do that? That's not very fair. Why did he do that? Right from the outset, he had all of his, all of his money that he wanted to entrust to people who were going to manage it, his servants, and he gave them different amounts. It says it. Let's let's read it. He said it says back in verse fifteen. And to one he gave five talents, another two, and another one, each to each according to his own ability. He gave the amount that they could handle. He gave the amount that they could manage according to them, according to their ability. You know, God isn't going to give you something you can't handle. He's not going to trust you with something that might break you. <laughs> and I love, I love the mercy of the master here because he knew that the, the third servant was no good with money, but he still gave him an opportunity. He still trusted him with something. God will never not trust you with something. He will always trust you with something, even if it's very little. (laughs) We need to treat uh, 
We need to treat money and put it in its proper place. We need to treat it with respect because it is our training ground. Don't treat money like it doesn't matter. Money is our training ground. Let's, uh, let's see what happened when uh, what the, the master said at the very end here. What was the reward that he gave the servants for their, their diligent management of his resources? Let's see what he said to the one in five talents. Verse 21, he said, His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. What did he, what was his reward? That was a couple of things. It wasn't more money. He'd given, he'd been trusted with five talents. He made five more. And what did the master do? He made him a ruler. He said, I will make you ruler over many things. I will trust you with more responsibility. I will trust you to lead. He didn't say, great, you've been, you've been tr- faithful investing and getting more money. I'll give you more money again. No, his training ground was what he did with the resource. And his reward was responsibility, was leadership, was to manage greater things. Money is our training ground. It says in Luke 16, let's just turn there quickly. Luke 16. Uh, and this is the, the parable of the unjust steward. This is a great one as well, but we're going to pick it up in... 16 verse 11, Jesus speaking, he says, Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you, to your trust, the true riches? If you have not been faithful with what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? You know, God has so much to entrust us with. He's so got so much to give us, to teach us how to use. But if we can't handle money, how are we going to handle the things that are so much more valuable than that? <laughs> you look at Jesus' life, what he did, the riches that he had, was to impact the world around him every step, every place he went. He displayed the true riches. I believe it's talking about spiritual gifts and it's talking about uh, what God has given us to to, uh, bring heaven to earth. (laughs) I I heard a, a story... I think um, Chris, Chris Vallison might have said 
given this analogy, and I just loved it. He said, yeah, it might have been, might have been Chris. He said um, that imagine you had uh, the ability that, that anyone who had cancer came to you, you prayed for them, and they got healed. Every single time, without fail, that whenever you prayed for someone with cancer, they got healed. Now, just imagine, how long would it take for word to get out that if someone has cancer and they go to you, you pray for them, they will get healed? How long do you think it's going to take for word to spread about that? Not very long. Not very long. So, what's going to happen? <laughs> you would have people from all over the world demanding your time or paying for your time. You would have people of all walks of life pleading with you. You would have very, very wealthy people offering to give you large sums of money and lots of things just so that you would come and pray for their family member, for their mother, their father, for them. That, that would be quite a challenge, would it not? How would you manage that? How would you manage that, that... That call on your time. How, what would you say to someone who said, I need you to come here. I'm going to give you a million dollars. What is right and what is proper in the management of the true riches that God has got for us? Because that's what we're called to do is to influence the world in the way that heaven the, the way that heaven is, to, to, to bring heaven to earth. That's what it looks like. But how can we be trusted with true riches like that if we can't manage our personal finances? So, let's treat our training ground with the respect that it deserves And let's be a good steward. And what does that look like? It means to grow what you've got. To grow what you've got. So let's get practical. What does your investment portfolio look like? Oh, I haven't got one. Why not? You've been given resource. What are you doing with it? Are you growing it? Or are you going to be the one that's left at the end with the same amount that you had at the start? <laughs> what, what was the response to that servant? You wicked and lazy servant. I don't know about you, but I would like to be, uh, I would like to hear the opposite of that. I would like to hear, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you something to manage and you did what you should have done with it. You grew it. And it's not for our benefit. It is the training ground. 
It is the training ground for what God wants to bring us, which is to benefit the world around us. And that is part of it, as part of the character required. And Investar works on his character and his understanding. So if you don't have an investment portfolio, that's okay. It's never too late to start. What do you do? Start learning. Start learning. There are so many resources that you can draw from in how to invest the systems of this world, how to use them. And then you wait on God and you say, direct my hand. Show me where. Is everyone happy in church? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> the second element of an uncommon life is to be an investor. Don't look at your finances the same way. All right. Third. I love this one. Live without fear. <laughs> the third element that I want to share and speak on this morning about uh, what characterizes an uncommon life is to live without fear. Ooh, all right, let's jump into this. Philippians 4 verse 6, if you want to turn to there. Ooh, it's good. Ooh, this is one of my favorites. Philippians 4 Verse 6 says, be anxious for nothing, be anxious for no thing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. <laughs> be anxious for nothing. So what should you be anxious about? Nothing, <laughs> nothing. Be anxious for nothing. You know, in Job, Job's a fascinating story. In Job 3.25, Job uh, is complaining. He does a lot of complaining in that, in that uh, book of his. Um, but he reveals the purpose or the, the, what, how he got into that mess. He reveals how he got into that mess. In Job 3 verse 25, it's, he says, What I greatly feared has come upon me. What I greatly feared has come upon me. What do you do when you fear? What do you do when you give place to fear? Fear is like faith. <laughs> it will return a result. Fear is the opposite of faith. There's a lot of Christians out there who are exercising their fear much more than they're exercising their faith. And what happens? Their fear gets quite strong. What they fear ends up happening. Funny about that. I love how we've been designed. I love it. In Psalm uh, 91, let's turn there, Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Verse, verse 5. 
Actually, I'll start a little bit earlier. It's talking about the presence of God. Psalm 91 starts by saying, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's what we were doing this morning. We were abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. You know you can live there. You can live in that place, hiding, being hidden in His shadow, under His wings, in His presence. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. What fear does is it threatens to change the truth that we believe. Fear will tell you that one situation that you're looking at is completely different to what faith is going to tell you that situation is. Fear is often a matter of perspective. But what would you do if a thousand people dropped dead all around you? Like I said at the start, are you going to let the experience of other people influence your own experience? Why on earth would you do that? Just because they are experiencing one something one way, why would that mean you have to? That makes no sense. <laughs> what would you do? A thousand people fall at your side. That would seem fairly scary, would it not? But fear is often a matter of perspective. If you didn't have any fear, none at all. Like you, you, you didn't, weren't afraid of anything. What would your life look like? Have a think. What in my life is happening? What am I doing or what am I not doing because I'm afraid of an outcome? Or I'm afraid of this, afraid of that. What would your life look like if you just cut that out completely? It'd probably look a little different, wouldn't it? You'd probably speak a little differently. You'd go places that you wouldn't usually go. <laughs> you, might, you might stand up in front of people and say some words. You know, public speaking is the, they say, is the uh, greatest or the most common fear of people. <sighs> if you just think about that for a second. Standing in front of other people and saying things is the greatest fear of humankind. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Given that I have some sort of natural gifting at speaking, that's fine. But when you look at that 
thought, at that situation, and you take fear out of it, well, that sounds rather silly, doesn't it? I am a human. You are all humans, just like me. I have been given a voice, and I am speaking (laughs) in front of you. (laughs) You know, God is going to call you to use your voice (laughs) to speak to someone. He's going to ask you to do something, and there will be a thought that comes your way That is directly from fear that says, you can't do that. You're not good enough. People might see you. People might see who you really are. People might see who you really are. (laughs) They might. And if you're connected to the source, they're going to see. So why, why is this public speaking? such an attack from fear. It's because when you speak, you show what is inside you. It's very hard to hide. It's very hard to keep up a mask when you've got so many people looking at you. It's very hard. But (laughs) the good thing is we've been designed so that we don't need a mask. We've been designed to show what is inside us. You know, we say that uh, when I train people to present in front of a camera or when I'm directing actors, I say, don't worry about what's going on on the outside because if you are thinking about what your face looks like, the people looking at you are going to see, they're thinking about what their face looks like. You are very good at communicating. Whatever you are thinking, someone is going to be able to see. It's when you see uh, a bad actor, you can you look at them and you think you're acting, you're 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 just acting. But a good actor is being. They are being their character. They are being. They are not thinking about what they're doing. They are just being. And when you're speaking in front of people. A good communicator, if they're afraid, everyone's going to feel it. <laughs> don't make that, don't, don't think that that makes you a bad communicator. That makes you a really good one. Because everyone else is in the room thinking, oh, I feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> I feel very embarrassed for this person. <laughs> we are all designed to be great communicators. To, sh- to share and to, to show what is inside of us. Because we have something worth showing. We have something worth showing. That wasn't in my notes about public speaking, but maybe someone needed to hear that. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Now, this, this is where your confidence comes from, right? Let's go to Romans 8. 38. You think that's all very well and good to say, don't have any fear, but what am I going to do when I've got fear, when I'm feeling afraid? 
Romans 8, 38. The antidote to fear, the thing that, that makes you able to do anything without fear, this is it right here. Romans 8. Let's go down to verse 38. Let's start from verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Well, let me just stop there for a second. (sighs) If God is for us, then who can be against us? That's a legitimate question. That's fair enough. If God is for me, if the creator of all things the holiest of holies, the one, (laughs) the most powerful. If he is for me, then what can be against me? So I look at something and I feel fear. What is that fear doing? It's saying it's threatening to put whatever the object of the fear is above God and say, this thing is more powerful than God. And your choice is to go, am I going to believe that? Am I going to agree with that? I don't think so. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to bring a charge against you that's going to stick? Because God's the judge. And he's for me. (laughs) It is he who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercessions for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? (laughs) Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are all killed. We are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And it it finishes off here by saying, For I am persuaded, I am persuaded, I am persuaded, I am convinced, I have thought about all this, and I believe that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things, Presence, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's fairly definitive, fairly convincing, fairly straightforward, isn't it? So how do we get stuck in this whole fear thing? If that's the truth, how do you... How do you miss 
what God's got for you if he's right there inside you? It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of where your perspective is placed, where it lies. You know, I think that the the biggest way we can miss stuff is just by not understanding who God is. (laughs) Not understanding, not knowing the Father and His nature. Not knowing who He really is to us. So we cannot be removed. We cannot be disconnected. We cannot be uh, blocked from His love. There's no external force that's powerful enough to separate us from the love of God. And you know what? Perfect love that we are fully connected to, it casts out fear. It casts out all fear. That's what it does. <laughs> so are we going to look at our life and look at the truth and go, if my life doesn't look like this, what am I going to do about it? What am I going to do about it? Am I going to continue letting life happen to me? Or am I going to take responsibility? Am I going to bring it before the Father, who's ready to receive it, by the way, and ask Him, what what is this? Help me make sense of this, because my reality is not lining up with your truth. Help me make sense of this. Talking about a matter of perspective, I'll finish with this. It's a... Oh, I love this story so much. <laughs> it's um, a situation that's found in Second Kings, and this is such a great example of what a heavenly perspective <laughs> is going to do, is going to do, and it, how it's going to influence your life. Second Kings six. Uh, All right, we're going to pick it up in verse 14, but I'll set the scene for you. The king of Syria is making war against Israel. He's intent on destroying Israel. And uh, for, for some strange reason in his mind, whenever he goes to get the king of Israel... He's not where he thought he was. So he's worked out that someone must be saying, someone must be telling them. Someone must be telling the Israelites where I'm searching for them because they are never there. We've got a rat, he thinks. So one of his servants says, it's Elisha. Elisha He's hearing from the Lord about where you're going to be looking, and he's telling the Israelites, don't go there. So his king of Syria is like, target painted on Elisha's back. I want that man. He is my problem. Let's go get him. 
So they worked out where he was. All right, so let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, surely he is in Dothan. In verse 14, therefore he sent horses, this is the king of Syria, sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. There was an alarming situation that he woke up to. <laughs> this is this is it. <laughs> this is it. <laughs> How are we going to see the situations that we don't understand that seem alarming? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've got a few situations that happened to me in my life that I didn't plan for. <laughs> And that I don't understand why they're happening. It happens all the time. That's, I've, I've come to believe that that's just part of life. There are things that will happen to us that we don't understand and that don't seem to be in the plan. So, Elisha steps out of bed. And there is this army completely surrounding him. The natural voice would say, this is bad. There are many, 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 many men that are intent on capturing or killing you. And uh, we have the servant to uh, illustrate this point for us. His servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? What shall we do? And so he answered him, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha wasn't worried. He didn't let fear have any place in his thinking. Not at all. And why was that? Because he had heaven's perspective on the situation. He could see who was on his side. Can we see who's on our side? Do we actually believe that if God is for us, then no one can be against us? Do we actually put that into practice? It's all very well and good to read it and to go, yeah, God, the creator. Yeah, come on. But when something happens that threatens to make you afraid, what are you going to do? <laughs> Like the servant said, alas, what are we going to do? I love, I love what happens. So he says, Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes that he may see what I see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. <laughs> So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. He did a, you know, the, the Jedi mind trick in Star Wars? These aren't the droids you're looking for. That's what he did, except it was God who did it. I'm not the man you're looking for. You're not the man we're looking for. That's what happened. <laughs> so, if you haven't seen Star Wars, then you've, that's gone completely over your head. 
and do you need to go home and do your homework and watch Star Wars? Because that's where they got that from. He said this. And now Elisha said to them, this is not the way. This is not the city. Follow me and I will bring you the man whom you seek. So they were like, we've arrived here. We've surrounded this man's house. We've come down to this man. And he says, he's not the man. He's not the man, everyone. He's not the man. He says, follow him. We're going to follow him. <laughs> so off they trot. <laughs> this big army. They were, they were prepared. And now they're following this man somewhere. I love how... <laughs> how <laughs> how God will turn a situation that looked very, very drastic into one that's quite comical. <laughs> he does that. It's not, it's not an issue. <laughs> what we think is an issue, it's not actually an issue. I love what happened. They, they, Elisha brought them on into the uh, Israelites' stronghold city, just marched them right in. Here we are, fellas. We are in the right spot now. And down here, <laughs> down here, when they're all inside and the Israelites now had this army surrounded, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And then they're like, wait, hang on a second. How did we get here? Now we are completely surrounded by the Israelites. And I love it. They, they all had a party. That, uh, the king of Israel was like, hey, Elisha, should I kill these dudes? Like, what, what you, you've come, brought them into my, my capture. What do you want me to do with these guys? They've come to, these are our enemies. What do you want me to do with them? And he said, nah, don't, don't kill them. Don't kill them. They did the whole, you know, I'm not the man you're looking for thing. Maybe just feed them. Maybe just give them some food. You know, chill out, we'll have a few drinks, and then send them home. And that's what they did. And then they didn't come back anymore. I love it. I love it. God turns a situation <laughs> that the enemy had a plan for, <laughs> and he completely turns it on his head. I love it. That's the kind of fun that we get to have with situations in our life when something happens where you think, this is a bit of a head-scratcher. But with heaven's perspective, you get to participate <laughs> with God. You get to have fun with God. You get to see Him turn a situation around that had no way of looking like it was going to turn out the way it did. <laughs> do we get that? Even if you don't understand the situation that comes your way, the opportunity you have is to say, Lord, show me what's really going on here. Father, show me where you are in this situation. Show me where you are in this situation so that I can partner with you and not with fear, not with the enemy. The third element of an uncommon life is to live completely free from fear. 
There is nothing that has to, nothing extra that has to happen to you that is going to enable that to happen. Jesus did it all. He did everything. This is available for you right now. Father, I thank you so much that you have laid out a life that is baffling to this world. Father, I thank you that you have given us the example of how to live in complete connection with you, Father. Lord, I thank you that you've given us everything that we need in your Son to be able to live free from fear, to live completely connected to the source at all times. Father, I thank you. Lord, bring us into a deeper experience. Lord, build us. Burn up what is not of you. And bring in what is more, which is more of you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Are we still happy in church? Are we a little bit more happy? Yeah? Yeah? Great. I think we'll have uh, the offering now. Well, I think we will. <laughs> I think we will. Well, I've got a half hour offering message. But I'm not going to give that this morning. Well done, Caleb. You've covered a lot of bases there. The microphone might have close up to Caleb's been speaking. It's a bit more volume on, on our here more. Now, honestly, Caleb did cover a lot of bases there. Um, a lot of things to chew on. And if you do that, I'm on. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. See, I'm, I'm just, I can't hold it. Can I, can I have a bit more volume so I can hold it out? Yeah. Thank you. Right. I'm not one of these chin microphone people. It's not an ice cream. But if you understand what Carter was saying and you put that into... Now, I was going to say into practice, but that's quite often difficult if we don't put it in the hands of God first and allow him to help us to put it into practice. Because Caleb's talking about perspective. And if we could see things the way God can see them, if we could see the way open his eyes so we can see what's really going on, we would have a lot more confidence in our Father. Now, he covered those stories also 
about understanding where the Father's coming from and understanding how much the Father loves you. And he also gave the, the money message this morning. So there's really nothing left for me to say except while Caleb was speaking, the word that was coming to me was perception. Perception. It's the way we perceive the Father's love that determines how we act. It's the way we perceive money that will determine what we do with it. It's the way we perceive what's in front of us that will determine how we act. Perception, I looked it up. Perception is the act of perceiving or receiving impressions by the senses. Are we led by our senses? Are we led by our feelings? Hmm. What determines your thoughts or your perception? What is it that actually causes you to think the thoughts that you have? Why am I thinking what I'm thinking? What's influenced your thoughts? See, if we can perceive with the spiritual senses God's given us, which is what we need to do, we need to start looking at things from God's perspective. The way, how do we do that? From the Word. We have to see it the way the Word is saying. What's the Word say? Get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. Some people have a distorted perception. But you know, fear is a perception. The enemy distorts everything. So we need to be people who are very conscious of what the Word says, what God says, and lining up with what God says. When it comes to our giving, our offering, what is it that determines the value of the gift? Your heart. So you might think, well, I'm going to give the Lord $10,000 in the offering this morning. Great. But is your heart in it? Now, if I was giving $10,000, yeah, my heart would be there. Absolutely. No problem. I know my heart would be there. My heart would be hanging off it. See, what determines the value of a gift? When a child gives you a picture that they've drawn specially for you, what makes that precious? The heart that's in the gift. I have a, a very short prayer that I think we should all put into practice. When you're praying, you talk to Heavenly Father, talk to Jesus, talk to the Holy Spirit, whichever way you want to do it. But dear Lord, may your wisdom be my possession. Your understanding, my discretion. So that knowledge will be useful in my journey through this life.
Father, may your wisdom be my possession, your understanding my discretion. So you need godly understanding. You need that the discretion, the understanding, the decision you make is based on your heart connection with the Father. May your wisdom be my possession, your understanding my discretion, so that knowledge will be useful in my journey through this life. Knowledge is having the facts. Understanding is having the right interpretation of the facts. And wisdom is the right application of the facts. Father, we need your wisdom. So, Lord, we're asking that you, by your Spirit, would cause us to have such a hunger for your wisdom, that we cry out for wisdom as being the principal thing. That we would have understanding of your ways to do things according to your will, your plan, so that we can walk in your ways and experience the love that you have for each one of us. So Lord, teach us. And Holy Spirit, speak to us. So that we can align our heart with your thoughts, with your heart, and walk in your perfect will. The plan you have for each one of us, Lord. I'm asking this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And when you're giving, when you're giving, lines up with that discretion and understanding of the Holy Spirit, you're going to know that you know the blessing and the favour of God is upon your life. And that's why we give. I think it's a good time to have communion. Thanks, Jeff. Okay, if you haven't got your communion, can you go and grab that? There'll be some up the back. Well, there is some up the back and there's some over the side. Um, <coughs> but you know, communion is an ideal situation to actually understand the heart of the Father. As Caleb was saying, you know, we really need to know our Father, don't we? And his heart is in this, in what he did on the cross. Um now, I've got some uh, verses to go up on the screen in a moment, but does anyone have um, in your house, do you have a container that has some special memories in it? Does anyone have a box, you know, one of those special boxes? Well, over the years, my box has grown considerably um, from, a you know, about this big to now a much bigger one because I had to sort mum's house, didn't I? So there were memories in mum's house which have been onto my memories and I have some of those memories of my mother in this box. So, Hannah, do you want to come and have a look and see what it is inside? Because I can't show everybody. 
Ashley, you could have a look too if you like. There's some special memories in there. Yeah. So um, in this box, I have some letters. And it's, it's got a fair few letters in the box. And these letters were all written by my father in around 1946. So some of them are dated on the outside of the envelope, 1946. Because he served in World War II and he was waiting to come home to my mum before they were married. They were just friends and they were communicating by letter. And so he was waiting to come home. And um, Caleb hasn't read these yet, but he might be interested because he was waiting in New South Wales until he was discharged and their job was cleaning rifles. That's what they were doing. They were cleaning all the rifles that were used and there were thousands upon thousands of them. And um, so he talks about that. He talks about, um, well, yeah, I sort of thought that I'd, I'd liken this to the Bible as being the greatest love letter. But mum would be embarrassed if she thought I thought they were love letters. But they do say, to my dearest Emily, and they have little kisses on the end. So, you know, they were probably the closest thing to a love letter at that time. But my father speaks about what he was doing. Um, he was sort of waiting to get his way home. And he talked about when they'd see each other again. So, you know, this Bible is the greatest love letter. Far outweighs any letter that my father may have written to my mother way back then. But it has the same, lots of things in it. You know, what's Jesus doing now? What's God doing now? When is he, we going to see him again? And all those sorts of things. So let's have a look at some scriptures. This is just a summary of God's love letter. So the first one is, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So Asher and Hannah know that we've been talking about that in Chosen Kids, about how sin came into the world, and um, that's what happened. And um, that was the beginning of Adam and Eve not being allowed to go into the garden. But then, if we oh, we're having trouble. Are we right, Sammy? Yeah, and then the next one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So yes, there was sin in the world, but God had the answer and he sent his son. And his love was for everyone. And then on the next one, David, had the, he knew what was happening there. He said, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. By what Jesus did on the cross, he made us white as snow. He took the punishment. He took it all away. And um, the Passion Translation said, he'd wash me, wash me in your love until I am pure in heart. And you know, that's actually happened. That has actually happened and I had a revelation of that not long ago when someone was speaking about how my heart is actually pure. My heart is pure because of what Jesus did. It's not something I have to work towards. He has actually done that when he gave his life and took that punishment for us. And then the promise to us is eternal life and it says that the streets in the city of heaven are pure gold like transparent glass. 
Is that amazing? Can you even imagine that? It's like pure gold, like transparent glass. That's amazing. And we have that hope. We have that hope of the future. So we're just here temporarily. This is just a short passage in time because that's our future. It's a promise of eternal life. And when we've accepted what Jesus did for us on the cross, then that's where we are. Um, And then the last one is, but we grow, we are now, we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. We are to grow in the intimacy with our Lord and Saviour. And we've talked in Chosen Kids about um, communion and we've said about it's about remembrance, remembering what Jesus did for us. It's about relationship and it's about restoring as things were back in the garden right at the beginning. But I just want to read one little part out of Colossians 3 and it says, Christ's resurrection is your resurrection too. Christ's resurrection is your resurrection That is why we are to yearn for all that is above. For that's where Christ sits enthroned in the place of all power, honour and authority. Yes, feast on all the treasures of the heavenly realm and fill your thoughts with heavenly realities and not with the distractions of the natural realm. Isn't that a good thing to remember? That's where we're to live. That's the position we're to live in, in knowing what, Our position is here, is temporary, and what's ahead of us. So that challenged me to think, well, we need to actually be living and knowing that this is not it. The whole reason why we're here is to help God restore the world as it was in the beginning and to restore people to him and bring them back into relationship with him. We are new creations and we are being renewed into the likeness of the one who created us so if we know our father and we know the heart of our father then this is the greatest love letter of all time and if we're in the word and learning about him then we will be learning about his heart as well and be learning to know him so let's stand and let's thank him for what he's done for us because this is his heart for each one of us, that he gave his only son to take our place so that we can be completely restored back with him. Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done. And Lord, I just pray that as we go throughout this week, that you'll help us to learn more and more and more about your heart for each one of us and to understand that that is a heart of love. We just thank you so much for what you've done. Let's just eat of the body that was broken for us. And let's drink of the cup that represents the blood that was shed for us. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. Amen and amen and amen.
Glory to God. A few things there to think on this morning. Yeah. And, you know, it's um, we're called to be not hearers of the word only, but doers. So we'll get a challenge. We'll get a challenge on the things that have been spoken this morning. It's always a challenge. But uh, let's take on board the things that have been spoken, that God is with us and, and greater is he that is within us and he that is in the world. Amen. Now, a couple of notices just to finish. Uh, uh, um, uh, prayer meetings, uh, the next couple of Wednesdays, they will continue. Um, our men's and ladies groups are having a break and uh, chosen kids over the uh, holiday, school holidays. Uh, but we have a working bee tomorrow. Um, so if... Uh, now, some people have already said they, um, they are attending, and this is just for our um, catering purposes so that we know that we can feed everybody uh, or how much food to have. Um, so we'll be working in the, uh, in the Sunday school hall um, because it needs some help. <laughs> it's the oldest building on the property and um, we need to tidy that up. So that's what we're going to do. And, uh, and working bees are fun. Yeah. So that'll be good. Uh, so they start at 9 o'clock, whatever time. If you have any time, whatever time you have, that will be much appreciated. So we're going to go from 9 till 3. Uh, now we've set aside three days, Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, we'll see how we go. Uh, we might um, we might get everything that we've done, need to do, uh, done early. So we'll see how we go with uh, Wednesday, but certainly Monday and Tuesday. Um, and next week is Easter. So um, that's when all the churches are full. <laughs> Sorry. That was, I, used to, I used to go to um, C of E. You know. No, not Church of England. It's Christmas and Easter church because <laughs> that's when they were full. Um, but uh, but um, anyway. So we, go, we, have some, um, we will have some hot cross buns um, on that date. So just because we can, and they'll be good. So, um, Lord bless you all. Uh, any other notices? I think not. No. Glory to God. Um, so, Lord bless you, and uh, we'll see you again. Amen.